Welcome everyone to your Loki podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Some of us need this, you know. The Loki podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode two, The Variant, is brought to you by Roxcart Hurricane Sale. All azaleas, half off. Pete, I don't know if Loki can see the future, if the time variant authority exists, and so forth. But here's what I know. News in the last week. Loki as a series has seen the future. Woden's Day, that's right, the day of Odin. Wednesdays, now the new Fridays for Disney+. Plus. Pete, pray explain. Because movies come out on Fridays and they don't want to butt heads with that. This has been something they have avoided when there's been new content. Uh, Mandalorian punted from a Friday to accommodate the rise of Skywalker. Um, Black Widow has uh, Friday, July 9th. So Loki uh, has moved to Wednesday, but this is now... For all time. Always. Yes, all Disney Plus shows now shall be released on Wednesdays. I know added uh, to your analysis, Pete, uh, were some thoughts from The Hollywood Reporter that posited that maybe since Netflix owns Fridays, which I would call into a little question since increasingly it seems like showrunners are like, all right, Netflix will make my thing for me and give me the money to make it and then bury my show three weeks after it comes out, never to love it again. But I digress. Uh, Fridays and Netflix seem to be a pretty linked thing. You know, oh, go and uh, binge all weekend, that sort of thing. And I think, Pete, a smart opportunity here, A, for Wednesday kind of being, you know, not the streamable day, uh, or, or that is to say, not a day where, you know, other streamers have, have carved out, you know, Wednesdays is Prime Day or something like that. Um it's an opportunity for them to kind of own the day, own the next couple days, and if the average viewer is going to watch one episode of the new thing on Disney Plus on Wednesday or Thursday, okay, so be it. You own social media for 48 hours, then if on Friday you're going to watch all the new season of the thing on Netflix, okay, then now Netflix gets two and a half days for ten episodes versus Disney Plus that got two days for one. The basic metrics there seem to work. Further evidence, Matt, that Kevin Feige is indeed a timekeeper. Um, what did the move to Wednesdays enable? That this particular episode uh, debuted on June sixteenth. That's right, six one six. Pete six one six. Kevin Feige. You know, we need to add a third thing. Is the third thing Loki? I guess it is. Pete, it's three things it's like the three timekeepers i don't know exactly what it means i guess i need to listen to the theory segment to have reality explained to me let's look into the glorious purpose of this episode the marvel title card with our synth music there green gold and black takes us to a renaissance fair in Oshkosh, Wisconsin in 1985, where attendees dance at a maypole, and a trio of tonsure-headed monks talks as one enjoys a beverage from a red Solo cup. 
Hunter C20 leads a team of Minutemen through a time door where they detect a variant in a nearby tent. Inside, a recorded announcement blares over the loudspeaker before the variant touches a glowing green finger to C20's temple, and she takes out her team to the tune of I Need a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. Pete, I'm glad you mentioned the Maypole as we established the setting there. Pete, I saw the Maypole. I didn't I didn't internalize it. Of course, those in the know know what the Maypole really represents. A wink, wink. Also, reminder in this uh, early scene here that the old Hollywood saying is true. There are no small parts, only small actors. Pete, Renfair lady who needs this, you know. Um, delightful. That is just an unnecessary addition to the scene. Uh, it's no setup. It's no uh, Schrodinger's cat, nor um, Chekhov's gun. None of that stuff. It's just ambiance, reality of a sort. It's delightful. Um, as you mentioned, Hunter C-20, which, uh, Pete, I can follow along well enough that all these uh, you know, uh, TVA workers get a letter and a number, except for Mobius and uh, um, the judge and whatnot, but uh, it does make it a bit tedious for the typing, but oh well. Um, really great fight scene there. Um, we see that in the fight, kind of the C-20 Loki is also helped out by hooded Loki. Um, two versus the rest until ultimately C-20 is knocked out. Hooded Loki takes a time pad, creates a door, and leaves. A time pad is what they're called a little later in the episode. Yeah. Pete, I don't like that as a name. I know it's the official name. I don't I don't like it as a name. I, I, I doth protest. Uh, but this teaser act ending with uh, the hooded Loki uh, leaving not just by themselves, but with C-20. Pete, the title card then ensues. At the TVA, Loki reads Mobius's Wake Jet Ski magazine as Miss Minutes attempts to quiz him about nexus events branching past redline that's when the tva can no longer reset a nexus event boring loki is quite bored in this episode i must say it comes up several times um if that is not taken care of it leads to the destruction of the timeline and collapse of reality as we know it so uh basically the stakes for the end of this episode uh, but but because to... Loki is bored, we, I think the average audience member, myself included, although Pete, I hope I'm above average, but I digress. Um, I think because Loki is so bored, it doesn't read as story exposition, nor does it read as we're giving this to you in the first three minutes because you need it in the last three minutes. It just reads like this is the kind of, you know, work junk you need to sit through sometimes. Um the best uh, the best Chekhov's guns are the ones that you say, that is a pretty cat, not that is a gun that's going to be fired later. He wants to know if Miss Minutes is a recording or a live. Sort of both, she says. He swats at her with the rolled up magazine before she returns to the monitor as Mobius comes over because there's been an attack, you know, in the teaser. And he gives Loki a TVA jacket which contains a joke that won't land until this next little segment 
where B15 runs down the sitch. Uh, indeed, we get a team briefing there. Uh, they know uh, that the attack that they need to attack the variant uh, that they've been hunting. You know, kind of some uh, this story train car hooking up to last week's episode and so forth. Our Loki notes that he's the good one, although of course here, Pete. The payoff, as the back of his jacket says in capital letters, variant. Uh, Pete, this is a perfect example of why I try, sometimes fail, to be spoiler-free. This is a nice joke, which was told many months ago when the jacket first appeared in in promotional footage. So, uh, what say you, spoiler Pete? I want this jacket, is what I say. Ooh, that could be... Pete... New listeners might not know that when we go to places like New York Comic Con, we don't do the cosplay. We just we we just dress as ourselves going to New York Comic Con or whatever. Um, I think it wouldn't quite be cosplay if you somehow nonetheless tracked down a variant jacket and just just wore that along with your jeans and t-shirt and so forth. Uh, I think that would just be kind of fantastic geek perfect. It would. It would. Mobius says the TVA has pruned a lot of Lokis. Like the holograms he then displays of football champion Loki, giant shirtless Loki, bearded sunglass hippie Loki, and helmeted warrior Loki. Uh, Loki also talks about illusion projection versus duplication casting. It's a subtle but important difference. Uh, You already knew that already, says Loki, uh, which is a story reminder, A, that they did not know the difference, and B, that uh, Loki is in the driver's seat of this story, even though he doesn't always look like he is. Or maybe he's not always in the driver's seat of the story, but he thinks he's in the driver's seat, although Mobius might be outsmarting here. The point is this, Pete. On a casual view, Loki is just being tugged along as, you know, the expert that can tell Loki things, but Mobius is in charge, and uh, Renslayer is in charge of him, and the Time Slayer, da-da-da. Uh, but that Loki is playing a larger role than a surface uh, take on the story might suggest. Yeah, there's this tremendous tension between Mobius and Loki, the idea of his truthfulness. The subject in this scene comes up, and it's repeated throughout the episode, that Loki wants to get to the timekeepers, that an audience might even be on the table before we are then in 1985 Oshkosh where Loki asks for us as the viewer, why not travel back before the attack? And Mobius explains that Nexus events destabilize time flow. The branch is still changing and growing. So they have to show up in real time. Another way of saying because the storytellers say so. Uh, add to that, and I'm, I'm stunned that here we are. I don't have a timestamp in front of me. Maybe we're eight minutes into the episode. Uh, we've already had a pilot episode, which has explained to us uh, the rules of this story and the universe in which it exists. I mean, kind of universe in a story sense, not you know the MCU. Um, but then we have this Pete explaining kind of story stuff. It's a... It's a good question. I think it's one that's well answered. Then add to it, oh, wait, Loki, you are so silly with these questions. I bet you don't know what this thing is, says one of the Minutemen. And Loki says, no, 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 I've watched the videos. Those are time charges that 
prune the timeline, which is to say fizzle away everything. Oh my goodness, Pete, they're still setting up the end of the episode with effortless exposition that comes across as Loki and average worker are sniping at each other. Chekhov's time bomb. Inside the tent, um, B-15 finds C-20's helmet. Wait, he's taking hostages now? That's the other thing. They hammer us with a gender uh, throughout. So you just kind of expected what would happen, but the theme of expect the expected later becomes dialogue. So there we are. Uh, she has them fan out their three units until red line. So story clock here, Loki tells them to wait. If they leave the tent, they will end up like C 20. He sees himself in this scheme talks about the Asgardian saying where there are wolf's ears, wolf's teeth are near. He says means be aware of your surroundings, but though he had sharp teeth, his ears were always sharper. He paid attention. Uh, he wants assurances from Mobius. He will not be disintegrated and he needs to speak to the timekeepers at once because they're in grave danger. And I love how Owen Wilson plays this one here. There's a, there's a pause almost to consider it. And then he reveals that Loki is lying. Had him for a second here. They set off the reset charge, the timeline heals and back at TVA. Um, C20 is listed as MIA. It really is astonishing to think about how much of this episode and indeed the first two episodes are a whole lot of talking and Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson make it all possible because you believe Tom Hiddleston only has been or ever will be Loki and you believe that Owen Wilson uh, has been and only ever will be Owen Wilson uh, who happens to work for the TVA. Uh, I'm not saying Owen Wilson doesn't have range. I'm saying when you're good at something, you stick with it. But so, so much talking and at no point in the episode do you go, I get it. You are explaining warp drive, rainbow bridge, nanobots. You know, none of that. You just kind of go, oh, oh, they're, they're, you know, it's Loki being tested. It's Loki being a jerk. It's uh, Mobius uh, outsmarting him and so forth. Um, the story here moves to Ravona's office, that theremin music, reminding me and hopefully everybody, give Natalie Holt the, the chanteuse of this episode. Get her an Emmy pronto. Uh, September would be nice. I believe Emmy nominations or or the Emmy nomination period closes at the end of this month or something like that. Um, Pete, this is another talky scene. However, there's a, there's a magic between Ravona and Mobius. Mobius noting that there are mementos from missions in her office, his missions, those of others too. They have some drinks. They talk about the unpredictable nature of Loki. Uh, it is mentioned that, after all, Mobius has a soft spot for broken things. Pete, we're getting characterization, even as these characters reflect on a character therein not present. And what does she do? She approves the missions, in addition to being a judge here. So we're learning more about her role. Um, talk about uh, Loki sounds like someone else for both of them. Stubbornness seems to apply. Um, and he says that he learned that the variant likes to stall for time, that he's learning to understand him, uh, through chasing 
the real one they're looking for. Um, but she says that Loki is an evil lying scourge. That is his part that he is to play on the sacred timeline. And that they can't change that unless the timekeepers decree it. How are those timekeepers, by the way, Matt? Uh, Pete, I have some theories about how they are not. Um, but we're told here they're they're working hard. She She's never seen them so focused on the things that they do and so forth. We're going to get more talking later on that does not come across as boring as we get a little bit more of a, a mental picture of them. Interesting, Pete, that here we've had so much about the timekeepers uh, where it is tell, not show, which seems to be the opposite of how one does the television. Uh, maybe therein lies a theory, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, as the scene wraps up, you know, Ravona again kind of offering uh, concern about this whole whole plan. Uh, don't worry, if this Loki doesn't work out, Mobius will just delete Loki himself. So, uh, Pete, as he said in the last episode, he can play the hard keys too. He can indeed. He finds this one really arrogant. Loki is waiting outside of Judge Renslayer's uh, quarters here our chambers and uh, the lesson, as we said before, expect the unexpected and Loki's in spin mode here. Tom Hiddleston playing it to the hilt. Here's uh, here to help catch the superior version. Um, and Mobius talks about his insecure need for validation. He thought that would help motivate him to find the killer. Uh, he knows this variant is better and he just can't take it. Uh, the back and forth here is delicious. Uh, Loki tells him that it's adorable that he thinks he can manipulate him, but he's 10 steps ahead. He's just going to ch uh, charm his way to the timekeepers and seize control of the TVA, right? You know, a double cross by history's most reliable liar. Okay. But A, uh, Mobius feels bad for this former ice runt and B he really wants to catch this guy. So he's going to tell Loki whatever he needs to. So it's tremendous flipping of the script that Owen Wilson, the guy who usually doesn't play the smartest guy in the room is the one leading Hiddleston around by the nose. With that, Pete, it's time for them to dig into some work. They descend through the lobby of the Atlanta Marriott, pardon me, TVA headquarters, uh, although the Atlanta Marriott looks really awesome and is much more similar to TVA headquarters than ones and zeros in the special effects computer might suggest. Uh, all the case files need to be peeked at by Loki to get that unique Loki perspective. You know, really lean into your work, into the work, pretend that your life depends on it, which again is a nice reminder uh, Mobius is a chill guy, but prepared, presumably, to uh, to take out Loki if needed. Um, Loki does that, and uh, it seems all the same. Every file involves the killing of Minutemen and the stealing of their charges. Oh, don't lose track of the charges. Uh, secret recap here, reminding us that there are many, many charges on the loose. Uh, with that, Loki goes to the reference uh, desk where the librarian robotically, see my theories later, seems to not see Loki until he rings the bell. 
He asks for files on the creation of the TVA. That's classified. How about the beginning of time? That's classified, as well as info on the end of time. Uh, also, Pete, a handy way to kind of constrain the story into where the, the creators want it to go now, not to skip to the end and all that. Um, what is he allowed to read? Well, he's given a very, very modest pile of Loki information. Uh, the one thing that catches his eye is that destruction of Asgard. And Loki is alone as he reads. We see that it impacts him, a tear welling in his eye. This is the broad stage actor Tom Hiddleston mm -hmm. keeping the acting very small and just for the camera. That's how you know he's a great actor. The irony of the librarian telling him happy reading to then read about Ragnarok, this class seven apocalypse, total planetary destruction, 9,719 casualties, what is uh, explained as the entire civilization annihilated, zero variance energy detected, and its code name, Matt, which you gotta look, but is a tremendous detail, is Revengers. Ooh. Um, catching Loki's eye, though, is the idea of an apocalypse and one that has no time variance. Loki goes to see Mobius, saying that the answer is not in the files, but in the timeline. The variant is hiding in the apocalypse, or rather, an apocalypse. Uh, Nexus events are, of course, as is recapped for us in another talky talk scene, uh, not a complaint. Uh, Nexus events are when someone moves off the timeline, and that leads to a cascade that turns into a branch. So we have a salad metaphor here. If there's salt on the salad, uh, that's your changes. Changes can be made on Asgard before the apocalypse because, as Loki takes juice from Casey, all the salt is gone. Uh, Pete, I know it's intentionally kind of a bit of a ham-handed uh, metaphor here, but certainly the notice that, or, or the notion rather, that salad exists as it's supposed to. Salt shouldn't be there. The juice washes the salt away. Now the salad is destroyed, but you didn't know there was salt there to begin with. Uh, a very able example, while also being kind of clunky and silly and low-key. The salt being pushing Hulk off the Rainbow Bridge. The pepper setting the palace on fire. The point here is that anything could be done in these apocalyptic circumstances and it does not branch off the timeline since there's total destruction. A tidal wave, a meteor, a volcano, a supernova. It's all going to be destroyed so nothing that they say or do will matter because the timeline is, going, is not going to branch. So the variant could be hiding out in an apocalypse. He could be doing whatever he wants, and they wouldn't know. And Mobius, as us now, as the viewer, says, yeah, I'm not going to take you to Ragnarok. So, so you can go back to your homeland. I'm not going to take you to the promenade, much less an apocalypse. But Loki maintains they got to test this theory. Okay, cue the cutesy conversation about never stabbing anyone in the back, which, of course, Loki has done ad infinitum. little Latin for this next scene coming up. But he'd never do it again because it's gotten old. 
and uh, you should trust me, Mobius, because the only thing I love more than to lie is to be right. With that, the story moves to Pompeii 79 AD. Now, Pete, I took uh, a year of Latin in high school. I happen to know that Pompeii is where Caecilius uh, est mort, Caecilius est mort. Uh, but we're not quite mort yet. Off to the side, Mobius and Loki whisper, oh, let's not make any changes. Well, maybe just teensy tiny ones. Mobius watches the, fine Pete, the Tem pad. Uh, we're just going to make little little teensy ones, maybe make a bird call. Uh, this is, of course, because Mobius does not fully trust Loki's theory. Loki does fully trust it, so he uh, frees goats from a goat cart. He tells the folks in Latin, My name is Loki. We are agents of the Time Variance Authority, adding that they are all about to die. Uh, Mobius sees here that there's no branching in the timeline, uh, Loki's point having been proven. Pete, my only complaint from this scene, maybe from the entire episode, is that the ash from Pompeii gets ever closer, ever closer, and I would have liked it if, you know, because here they are, they're not acting like there's any danger, uh, in part because they have, you know, a time portal that can save them. I would have liked it if they just kind of continued their casual conversation, hey, you were right, open the time portal, walk through it, and it closes just as the ash comes. Uh, but instead, to be fair, they achieve largely the same sentiment because we hard cut back to the office where Mobius is on board. Yes, coming out of the elevator here that uh, the variant is hiding in Doomsday's covering his tracks, Matt. Totally male, okay? Uh, the theory only holds, however, if these are naturally occurring, sudden without warning, without survivors. So they need to find out how many. Back to the files, transition here of Loki being asleep and Mobius wanting to go for a walk, and they wind up in the cafeteria again, where this time we talk about jet skis. Indeed, I don't know what inspired this little jet ski gem, but it certainly serves to humanize Mobius, something I will be pulling apart in theories. Um, but just, I, I, never before has one said such things like, in the 1990s, there was a union of form and function, this beautiful beautiful thing called a jet ski. Uh, Mobius yeah, mentions rather wistfully that he's never been on one. Ah, the notion of a TVA agent riding one would just be, you know, immediately observed and be a big no-no. Uh, which kind of in itself is sad. You're telling me that the TVA doesn't have like a pool or a lake or something <laughs> like that or some point before time. Like, you know, if Loki wants, uh, pardon me, if Mobius wants to go jet skiing in the ocean two billion years ago, that's really going to mess things up. Um, but ultimately, Lo uh, Mobius, I keep, Pete, I keep confusing the two in part because the, the rapport between the two actors is so great. Uh, but for Mobius, it's a reminder of what they're fighting for. His beliefs are contrasted with those of Loki, both zany stories and whatnot, if you don't believe them, and very believable stories if you do. Yeah, and then back to the three magic lizards. No timekeepers. Uh, Mobius accepts, whereas Loki does not. And the idea that uh, Loki was... Uh, created by a frost giant on Jotunheim, raised by Odin of Asgard, uh, frost giants, Asgard, all these things. 
um, Mobius explains that existence is chaos. They try to make sense of it, and he is lucky that chaos gave him his own glorious purpose. TVA is his life, which I think we're setting up further stakes for what it means for Mobius. Uh, it's real because he believes it's real. And uh, Loki says this sets up a scenario where everything is written, that there's no free will that Mobius says is an oversimplification. They at the TVA then would seem to be the only ones with free will. Therefore, how does it all end? Well, that's a work in progress uh, that the timekeepers uh, with their assistance, they protect what came before and they're to toiling away in their chamber, untangling the epilogue from its infinite branches. So when they're finished, so is everybody else. No more Nexus events. They just uh, uh, meet at the end of time peacefully. Um, but again, Loki sounds off that this is boring. Uh, but Loki knows what children don't. That no one is, uh, no one bad is ever truly bad. And the converse. And given the way the end of the episode works, we're front-loading for next time. Now, Pete, you just mentioned that it's something that children don't understand. That reminds me, and Mobius, of that child in France. Wait a minute, let's go get that Kablooey candy. It is a candy sold regionally on Earth for about five years, so if they cross-reference that with a disaster, that should be where uh, the Loki variant is, there's some searching here, some searching there. Ultimately, we are told Alabama 2050. Um, but will, of course, Ravona give the okay to send a team on the word of Loki? Well, we're going to cut to her and find out. Uh, she gives a little wiggle room, um, willing to kind of dive into a little bit. With that, Mobius and Loki hit the lockers. Loki again asks about a face-to-face -face with the timekeepers. Pete, I love my timekeeper theory. I don't mean to keep teasing it, but I'm really, really proud of it. Uh, Loki is briefly given knives, but B-15 says, absolutely not, um, <laughs> in just a great moment. And also, I'm realizing, Pete, it's also, in a small way, it's kind of foreshadowing plus characterization moment in terms of we look to Mobius as being the mission boss. Um, but we're about to learn uh, in a little bit. He actually isn't. You know, he's the agent, and B-15 is, you know, the the leader of the Minutemen. You know, th there's kind of this duality here, which in this moment B-15 is uh, is asserting. Uh, B-15 also briefing everyone on the Rocks Cart store and its warehouse area. They need to find missing charges and prune a Loki on site. So clear mission at hand, uh, of course, enough clarity for things to go very, very wrong. The great exterior shot here of the billboard getting smashed by debris and they arrive at Roxcart uh, in the rain. Inside, Loki dries himself off with magic so he can use his magic here. That's established. Uh, 
Mobius wants to stick with Loki. They're going to head to the greenhouse, but B-15 calls an audible here. Mobius is going to go with D-90. Loki will stay with B-15. Uh, why is it the people you can't trust always say, trust me? Uh, we see, as they start to split up here, uh, we see that the variant is watching from the security room. Uh, also, there's a timer set to count down from the 20-minute mark. Uh, so, Pete, uh, one might call this story clock a, I don't know, story clock. Um, B-15 and Loki come across a man shopping for azaleas. After all, they're 50% off. It's quite a deal in the hurricane. Uh, Loki says this could be him, although he kind of would prefer a suit. Uh, B-15 approaches the man. We see kind of the green glow, green eye thing of a, a Loki variant switch. Um, I'll also mention, Pete, we're about to enter a portion of the story where to describe the different hops that the variant Loki goes through, um, you know, are we going to say Randy Loki or B-15 Loki or things like that? To say it is rather difficult. Um, not super difficult. What I'm saying is it could be confusing on the page, but you watch the episode and you go, okay, I saw the green thing. That lady is now the other Loki. Oh, she touched somebody else. Now Randy is Loki. It's, again, so easy to digest, even though there's a lot of complexity going on underneath the surface. So when B-15 is grabbed by this first person they meet that is taken over, uh, B-15 explains that uh, the person is not dead. They usually survive. Uh, that Loki... Uh, Hiddleston Loki is the fool they have the TVA has brought in to try to catch him uh, and it's interesting you know so oh Loki Loki but that uh, our other Loki says that if anyone's anyone uh, Loki is him or her <laughs> see so it's difficult about, to say but you watch it and you go yeah. I get it. The one that we haven't seen that now has bleep bloop blopped into B-15 that's now the whatever is saying that our guy is actually the, the other guy of the guy. God, like, it's, it, yeah. It's, it, I remain impressed that this is complex stuff that on the screen plays super smooth. Uh, away from this conversation, D-90 uh, tells Minutemen to check the bags of the survivors here for reset charges. There's a gentleman there who wants to know if they're FEMA or National Guard. And Mobius is sympathetic, especially knowing the fate of these people that is pending. But D90 shoves the guy and he says that they should be scared. But Mobius says, not of us. It's something that was fairly prescient, Matt. Uh, yeah, and, and among other things, this notion that, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, even if the outcome is the same, uh, which is to say all these people are going to die. Um, there's just a certain decency that one can, uh, that one can show. Um, ultimately, the Mobius portion of the crew gets brought to the security office where C-20 is found, but uh, kind, of, kind of babbling and... and you know, conscious, but not, uh, not lucid. 
Uh, back to the Lokis. Uh, our Loki is not impressed by the magic trick. It's uh, just one of these transfer things. Uh, there's another transfer uh, to uh, a worker who later on I think we could provisionally call Randy Loki. Uh, Pete, that is Randy the noun, not the adjective. Thank you very much. Back um, to the trick, though. What was the trick name checked as? Um, that I don't have written down other than magic trick. Enchantment. Ah. Pete, are you setting up your own theory uh, slash victory lap in a little bit? <laughs> More victory lap than theory. Ah. Um, our Loki taunts him. He wants to see the variant face to face. After all, our Loki has gotten their trust out of the TVA a bit, uh, which is kind of the first moment that the show is definitively saying, "Hey, our Loki maybe is not up to the level of good that we thought we was that that we thought he was." Although we, you know, we're not committing to a hundred percent. But it's a nice little turn there. Also, our Loki has an offer. He wants to overthrow the timekeepers, and he's looking for a lieutenant, or in the British, a lieutenant. Uh, Randy Loki says no. He doesn't want to rule the TVA. Uh, maybe Pete, I'll overact it and say that Randy Loki does not want to rule the TVA because Randy Loki wants to destroy the TVA. Uh, they keep on walking, but the camera lingers as we see charges set by a third, fourth, whatever it is, Loki, the hooded Loki, setting those charges. Oh my goodness, Pete. Hooded Loki is delaying much as our Loki delayed in the beginning of the episode. Yes, and C20 has now told uh, Mobius that it's real. She wants to go home, but she's given it away. The timekeepers, where they are, how to find them. It's at this moment that B15 wakes. Uh, and then we get into the fight here between uh, what was randy loki that we now miss this is redneck loki <laughs> uh or, or trucker was, loki pete yeah uh that a vacuum is used here uh to great efficiency in the fight and uh ultimately hiddleston loki is thrown with a minute 18 seconds left on the story clock tempad device uh, which is connected to some wires here. Uh, and then the hooded figure uh, suddenly comes into view, taking the hood down. It is a woman. It is Sophia DiMartino uh, playing the woman here with a headpiece that has one horn, the other broken off. Uh, she tells him that uh, this is not about him. And then we engage with a blackout and initializing and shelf upon shelf worth of reset charges, then spout time doors beneath them where they are all sent to different places. Take us to the TVA, Matt, and your rotary dial phone. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a great moment. And again, I think, how do you imagine... A technological future one way to do it is you know they don't need fancy tech they just show it with old tech um and it'll never age poorly because it's already aged that sort of thing at the tva we see red lines galore are happening uh, it's just not possible 
Uh, a worker calls this a uh, this code triple zero, and then somebody else says uh, mustachioed man with astonishment. Somebody just bombed the sacred timeline. Uh, we cut to Ravona, who looks horrified in her uh, office. She grabs a buzz baton, uh, signaling that it's all hands on deck for boots on the ground action. We cut to a wider shot of people in the TVA suiting up, running through portals, presumably to bombed spots to try and, uh, and, and deal with this time hemorrhage. In the rocks cart, everything is lit in red. Our Loki looks stunned, even as Lady Loki waves bye-bye. Mobius arrives. Loki, wait, wait. But our hero runs through the time portal after Lady Loki uh, to end the episode. Pete, an episode written by a woman, directed by a woman, director of photography is female, production design by a woman, costume design as well. Uh, you don't see that too often, but you see it in Loki. Slow that Lady Loki talk, though. Hey! Oh, wow. 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 Let's talk some wow, mind-blowing theories here. Pete, first one up here. I'm looking farther down the timeline here. My question to you, is Mobius a robot? Are we going to have an episode six callback to that robot detector? Indeed, are all TVAers robots? They just don't know it. No, and I'm going to double down on this, Matt, because ain't no robot going to be able to get on a jet ski and ride it triumphantly uh at the end of this season oh, that really would be a um a wonderful owen wilson moment it just feels like a very wes anderson kind of thing here uh, pete you might be double downing against uh things such as that here's my question for you okay I, a couple of questions here small questions how many timekeepers are there three um what are some options for how they might look uh they're human with i mean the one depiction of them in Renslayer's chambers they keep saying lizard but we hadn't seen anything truly you know reptilian about them the skin on the the statues in her chambers uh has that you know reptilian texture to it Pete what if the timekeepers don't exist. What if we see inside their chamber, which in this episode it's revealed they're there in their chamber working hard on untangling the you know, beautiful nature of the end of time. They open that chamber to reveal nothing, to reveal a computer, to reveal something other than what they have told us is there. What are your thoughts on that? So knowing casting things for this and other MCU uh, properties, there are answers to this question that uh, bring together the comic universe. Um, Ravona Renslayer is very much key to that for this show and elsewhere. Um, the question of do they actually exist? Has she even really seen them? that Mobius has never seen them is an interesting one. What's also interesting is 
I felt a little bit the second interaction we've had two episodes, little bit of heat between Renslayer and Mobius. Oh goodness, yes. Um, well, goodness, yes, to the point that they must commit to it. No, however, there is chemistry between the two actors. There's chemistry between the two characters. And uh, I don't know exactly where that might go. Uh, Pete, I think that perhaps such fraternization in the workplace might not be appropriate, but who am I to judge a judge? <laughs> um, also, they're, they have no personal lives. They just have the workplace. So uh, joking aside, I don't know. I feel like in this weird, wacky show, which is, you know, the stakes are big, but I don't think, you know, none of us are like, oh my goodness, they're holding up a lens to the you know, to how I perceive time. Like, we're having fun here with some time travel stuff. You want right. to slowly build a little romance here between these people who exist, presumably outside time and whatnot? Like, it's it's all just extra spice, much as, you know, Renfair, we need this lady is. It's not a logical place to go, but the heart calls it. I don't want to spoil things, but if people want to know when they look into the comic backstory if they don't already know of uh renslayer some things are going to come up i think this may be a red herring but i i think we're invested in it i mean i i like I, i'm shipping these two right now matt even though i don't really think it's it's going to come about um so mobius and the I guess it's pronounced Josta Soda. Do you know anything about Josta Soda? A real uh, thing, by the way? Uh, no and no. Tell me more. From the 90s. This was a real thing. Okay. It is credited as being the first energy drink. Okay. Uh, Wait, from it, the 90s? Like, uh, th this yes. is not a bit. Pete, did you say the 90s? The very same 90s that birthed the jet ski? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, it had two taglines. Are you ready for the taglines? Give them to me. So the first tagline was woulda, coulda, shoulda. <laughs> Apropos. The, the second tagline was you better do the good stuff now. <laughs> first of all, that's rather aggressive. Um, but, but. <laughs> <laughs> and ominous. <laughs> yeah. Just as a marketing thing, like separate from, ooh, what can we infer? Like. Coach, Buy me it or all else. Ends. <laughs> um, Pepsi, the choice of the time you have left. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess there's two. A, I don't know how deep to dig on this soda, but let's dig deep nonetheless. It's what we do. Um, is it being made independently at the TVA's point in the timeline? Like, does the TVA does the TVA cafeteria create it, or does does uh, it's there again? I, I go, Pete. I'll say Mobius, I mean Loki. I say Loki, I mean Mobius, whatever it is. Um, is Mobius maybe slipping into the 1990s to just buy a lone six-pack of the soda, knowing that that's not going to cause, you know, I don't know, Martians to land on Earth or that sort of thing? Right. Uh, again, not a necessary detail, but I want to know more. I want to know what his heart yearns for. Well, I think it feeds into that characterization and, and that these taglines of a no longer produced soda also from the 90s like his beloved jet skis really stress uh the importance of time uh i think is really well done 
I wouldn't put it on the level of Easter egg stuff. Um, more so, again, on that, you know, backlogging of, of character. Um, the other thing about Mobius, so, you know, the timekeepers created him, right? Is he really native to the TVA or was he plucked out of somewhere and given the job at the TVA? That's an interesting question, and I don't want to be overly heady here. Again, the flavor of the show is a little bit lighter than, you know, WandaVision looks at grief and the role of women in the professional and personal world. And Falcon the Winter Soldier says, you know, what is the uh, systemic nature of racism and uh, so forth. Um, But I'm going to go for this, Pete. I'm going to go for, I'm going to swing for the fences here. It's kind of like the you know the timekeepers are a religion to everybody at the TVA. The TVA kind of you know it's called the sacred timeline. They are kind of all you know monks in their behavior. They, it's not even a matter of faith. It's a matter of one hundred percent belief. Even though they have not seen seen the timekeepers, um, I'm not saying like ooh Marvel Studios taking a stand on religion versus atheism, but. It's possible that these gods, the timekeepers, might not be a real thing. That it might be founded on a thing that does not exist. Now, you, Pete, asking, was Mobius plucked from somewhere else? Do we have the beginnings, the the incomplete beginnings of Mobius as son of someone now working as the savior? Is Mobius somehow the gray-haired christ figure of sorts i'm not committing to that i don't think there's enough evidence to even make much of a prediction but maybe that's kind of like one to watch out for here because again we don't know in six episodes we say that was really fun and silly and occasionally said what's the nature of reality but mostly was silly or are we going to say oh my goodness in the middle of it they really got into some deep they got into religion and existence and and where you've been and where you're going and all of that we have an interesting um dissertation on predestination versus free will that I think plays into a lot of that. Um, You know, whether or not events because of this concept of a sacred timeline can only unfold in one way or the people having and, and beings in general having free will and the choices influencing uh, what ultimately happens. And that's maybe what is narratively most troubling about the argument that they're making. Again, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying everybody in the TVA is okay saying um, things are predestined. Okay, fine. That's basically an oversimplification. No, it's not. Not if there's the path of correct choices. And when you make the wrong choice, including I'm going to get the bagel and not the roll for breakfast... Um, somebody's going to swoop in and say, you done messed up with that bagel, now we're eliminating you because you're supposed to be a role guy because, you know, interconnected, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's an it's a story itch. It is an unsatisfactory itch to say you can only make certain choices and those are the right ones. I mean, it's taking all agency out of everything we've ever seen and these are people who happen to make the right choices and not get zapped. Um, I feel like among all all things, that can't stand by the end of the episode because I don't want to live in an MCU. I guess I'll say live in quotes. Uh, but I don't want to live in an MCU where there's predestination. 
Well, the end of the episode really brings that around. So Loki makes the choice to follow uh, the female uh, character um, that Mobius doesn't want him to do that. And there was the front loading where Ravona told Mobius that there's not much that she can do if this doesn't work out, which it now has not. So, uh, yeah, the way that this is gone, it's certainly going to be an interesting episode. I mean, the first two were screened for critics and now you have these remaining four episodes that seem rather open-ended. I'll just add the TVA helmets seem to be taking a, uh, design, uh, clue or design origin from kind of world war two Germany. Um, and all of that wonderful openness that it suggests or lack thereof. So uh, Pete, I think we're on the right path here, you know, one third of the way through the season to really be calling into question who the bad guys are. Oh, twist. Lady Loki is actually not the villain. Okay, fine. You know, I think the notion that it's the institution itself is one that I really, really think, uh, you know, it's a direction that we're headed in. Let's talk about that lady you keep calling Loki, Matt. Did you watch your Spanish credits all the way through? Uh, this time, no. I missed, I missed the Spanish ones. <laughs> and I know, I know from WandaVision that if you, in all sincerity, if you watch the credits all the way through, sometimes a little thing uh, slips through. So what have you learned, Pete, uh, in English, please? So uh, the voice uh, dubbing in Spanish lists a character named Sylvie. Sylvie Laufey Daughter, that's spelled D-O-T-T-I-R, but of course uh, sounding like daughter, um, is a character in the 616, the very self-same day that this episode was released, uh, Marvel Universe. Uh, also known, Matt, as... I don't know. Enchantress. Well, that has me a little worried there, uh, what with uh, Suicide Squad, which is a watchable popcorn movie. Um, Pete, I'm also on a, on a little mental tangent here, okay? Uh, what is it, L Laufey's Daughter, you said? Um, has me thinking of the Icelandic naming conventions, which are matronymic, that is to say, uh, based on the father or mother, by which um, siblings might have a different last name based on their gender or parent or that sort of thing. So that's just some fun um, kind of that part of the world culture that seems to be informing the character in this episode. The locations and the dates that the... Uh, time bombing happens to is just a where's where of uh, places in the Marvel universe. Uh, what are some of those spots? Uh, we got the, the usual suspects like Asgard. Okay. But places like Lisbon, Spain. All right. And uh, Hala on the, on the Cree homeworld uh we've got um vormir where the soul stone is um i'm trying to pull up some of the better screenshots 
that we can go through, but they're really, really detailed. What I've not seen anybody put together just yet is any kind of uh, work on the time stamping. Uh, you've got Ego, you've got Titan, um, you've got all sorts of things in there that if they're truly playing up the scope of all of these uh, reset charges going to these different places and what would be changed. Uh, here's where I think they could be going, Matt, and then we can try to delve a little more deeply into the particular uh, places that they are sent. What if the end of Loki and what happens here leads to the what if announcement because the timeline has been completely polluted and suddenly uh, T'Challa is Star-Lord? It's a good question. I, I don't know how seriously to take the stakes at the end of this episode. Um, let's add to that the question that, um, that uh, Loki has in Pompeii. Is the TVA in the future? Um, which I'm not fitting that puzzle piece in snugly to your point, but, you know, is all of this happening chronologically after? Because how long has Loki been on this adventure? I mean, you know, a couple days. So is this happening three or four days after Loki was plucked from the timeline? And then when in the timeline? So, like, have the Avengers beat Thanos? Like, there's a whole bunch of question marks here. And either next week obliterates the entire MCU and does a universe reset, which would be bold, uh, or it's going to get contained and pulled back either next week or by the end of the season so that we say, hey, those rest of the movies that you saw, they exist before this, and the movies you're going to see after this, they exist after, except for Black Widow that takes place several years prior, blah, blah, blah. Um... So, I mean, this is a bold move here. I, to lead into what if, I mean, I, I feel like our instinct is always to say, and then the secret scene at the end sets up the next thing, which is sometimes true and sometimes not true. And I just don't know. It's very confusing. Um, and I know I need to tune in Wednesday morning next week to get further understanding. There's just so much that goes into the detail of these dates and locations flashing so quickly on this screen. That's what I, I think, you know, we want to wonder, will this ultimately be paid off or is it more of, and these things went everywhere and they really caused a lot of damage. Well, particularly since, I mean, you know, we discussed in prior Loki episodes oh man, is the end of this the Multiverse of Madness? Uh, Pete, I didn't expect at the end of the second episode will the multiverse be upon us. Um, which again, kind of from a production sense, I don't buy it because I feel like it's too early. But is a month from now too early? I mean, I, I think I would say it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's a novel point to be in to say there are so many question marks here and I truly don't know what's going to happen next week. What other theories do you have on your theory time pad, temp pad thing? <laughs> Where did our Lokis go? 
um, maybe to another apocalypse where things are safe. Because right now the timeline, A, is very unsafe, and B, presumably the full weight of the TVA is headed to each one of those. Therefore, you go somewhere where none of them are. I like the apocalypse idea. I, I hope that that plays out. I don't think they will head to any of the locations and the uh, times that seem to have been uh, time bombed here. Um, so Rock's cart, right? I was a little underwhelmed by this sprawling facility that basically looked like a Kmart <laughs> from our time. <laughs> Um, uh, I agree. I'm going to give it a little bit of a pass because I will, I will assume that this was shot post COVID. I don't know that for sure, but I just think, um, I don't know. I think that to say, Hey, this was a little underwhelming. Uh, yeah, maybe it's cause you're cut your crew in half. Maybe that's because you said, we're not going to do any extras cause I don't know, they're all in the bunker or whatever. Now we just have minimal actors swab the noses and so forth. Um, can you get away? Can you get around sort of, you know, things like this with computer effects and whatnot? You can. I don't know that the scene pales, uh, due to a lack of, I don't know, 2050 Walmart rocks cart kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, to me, I'm okay with it. If only Matt, there was a template, uh, where the brother of Owen Wilson, had starred in a movie that takes place in a not-so-distant future where uh, a conglomerate warehouse chain, uh, their Costco, has basically turned into a sprawling cityscape. Uh, Pete, it speaks to the monomyth and how we keep bumping into other stories, even when brothers are actors and writers and such. Uh, we end up telling the same stories to each other. Have you seen Idiocracy? Uh, I have not, no. Y you need to check out Idiocracy. So there's a scene late in the movie, several scenes that take place in a Costco, which is now the size of a small city, uh, because that's how things are in a dumbed-down future where people get everything, and the Costco actually has like a subway inside of it <laughs> to get around. And I'm like, Rock's Cart, Costco, Idiocracy, Loki, it's all connected. Pete, part of what I like about us podcasting is we can talk about the things we want to talk about for as uh, long or as short as we want to. And we kind of don't need to quick fill your Loki column this week. Uh, I read a Loki column this week that said, because... Mobius has a uh, Franklin Roosevelt High School pen that is a reference to Spider-Man because, and then the article basically was like dot 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 and then something and then look, now we've mentioned Spider-Man and the new Spider-Man movie and this show and Spider-Man and I was like this is a terrible theory job. So Pete, have you heard any better theories other than one time Franklin Roosevelt and something and Spider-Man will get clicks. So therefore Spider-Man is in Loki. Uh, I'm going to hint in my headline, but not say in my poorly written article. I mean, listen with the multiverse stuff coming to Spider-Man, 
it makes some sense but you know this would be on the level of more of an easter egg rather than you know something you know super super deep what else pete do you have for theories lastly miss minutes recording a live sort of both is she a timekeeper no i think she's more like uh a uh, a corporate voice activated uh um assistant uh neither of which i will say lest i activate uh, yours pete or those in the homes of our listeners but i kind of read it more as that they might say well my alaxa or my siri um is not living and i would agree but if you showed that to somebody you know 40 years ago they'd be like awesome you have a helper on the phone that's great where is she um so that's kind of how i saw it it's just an advanced Alexa. pete time to check the mailbag and we're going to start with the responses to our poll on twitter branches and branches oh my did the latest of the loki wednesdays bring a bomb or da bomb uh, vote anytime before the timer runs out. Uh, Pete, one crown, 79 AD, 0%. Two crowns, I'm very proud of this. Ren, fairly okay. Renaissance fair, see what I'm saying? 2.6%. Uh, Three crowns, explosive, got 10.3%. And four crowns, she's here, got 87.2%. Uh, them's some enthusiastic responses there. I think they uh, have spoken here. Uh, we heard from our captain, Captain Noel Gardner at Noel Camille, uh, who says this show has me intrigued. That end sequence with the time bombs seemed like an episode five ending, but here we are at episode two. We are in for a wild ride. Hiding in an apocalypse is brilliant and gave Loki a moment to be completely chaotic with no repercussions. I think just like we're not sure who Lady Loki is, I'm not sure the TVA is what they say they are. The desk workers like Casey might not know, but Ravona has some secrets. Also, who is her other analyst? Mobius seemed a little jealous. So, Pete, I'll have you ponder that. I'll also add to it. Uh, with all due respect to Marvel Television, the old, uh, the old division, uh, separate from what Marvel Studios is doing for TV, here's how I think Jeff Loeb's Marvel TV would have ended this episode. Because Jeff Loeb loved maximum question mark propel you to next time. Here's how this would have ended for Marvel TV. It would have been, who are you, hooded figure? Hood comes off. I'm not who you think I am. Boom, cut to the credits as you go, oh my goodness, versus what I would argue is a more natural endpoint to this, which is uh, stuff just got real. Action was, actual action was taken, not, you know, mystery for things that will have you buy the next issue or see the next episode. Um, and with this terrible time bombing, that's the thing that propels us to, to next week. So, uh, Pete, who's the other analyst? Is it Tobias Funke? <laughs> I, I hope so. Uh, we also heard from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Poe in 1983. The multiverse of madness is finally here. Pete, Andre, Dr. Poe in 1983, declaring it. Uh, <laughs> seems as though Loki outsmarted himself. Uh, that's what happens when you are overconfident. Uh, so was that Lady Loki or the Enchantress? Great episode, and I can't wait until next week. 
Uh, we heard as well from James the Sagacious. It's at Big Killen on Twitter. I'm loving the pace. Nothing feels rushed or drawn out. If you can make me laugh at Pompeii and consider big, big box stores as the last hope during the coming climate, climate disaster, I'm hooked. Um, Pete, I think James reminding us, what's the definition of, uh, of comedy? It's tragedy plus time. Uh, Pompeii is really funny all these 2,000 years later. How, how about the uh, rocks cart thing happening in Alabama, this class 10 apocalyptic event? They're not making a statement at all. Uh, Pete, they just need to believe it's not going to happen. That's what I think. Okay. Uh, also, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose an alt here. What if instead of rocks cart, and I get it, it's rocks on the big bad oil company and the big, you know, the big bad uh, company in the MCU. You're sitting joining on up this... with Instacart. Is that the other big bad? Well, no, Pete, <laughs> you're sitting on Disney Gold here. How about it be a buy and large from Wally? Right. It's right there. It's right there. Make it a buy and large, and you then... gotta have the the rocks part of it. And what it does is it it reunifies that it's all connected. It's 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 connected again. Pete, how many BuzzFeed listicles would have been written to explain how <laughs> Wally takes place in the MCU and also, and I must admit I don't have my Pixar uh, Easter eggs off the top of my head, so I'll just make a couple up, you know. But the Wally figurine shown in the background of, you know, finding Dory or whatever, that then ties it in and therefore grand conclusion in a listicle or in a, a compelling or a seven minute YouTube video that says that all of Pixar uh, including the whole Boo is the old woman from uh, from Brave. That all of that is actually a branch of the MCU. I mean, come on, it's right there. It's right there. It's right there, Kevin Feige. And you said no, no, no. <laughs> all right, deep breath here, Pete. We're going to hear from Jared Jared Showerman uh, at the AV Seal. My theory is that recruiting Loki is what sets the multiverse war in motion, and the reason we don't see the Timekeepers is that they don't exist yet. The universe is on a loop. And uh, Miss Minutes is the only one that remains to keep the cycle going. A perfected timeline means that timekeepers are no longer needed at the natural end of the universe. So it is in their best interest to keep resetting the madness. Very Matrix. Uh, I'm commenting to Jared. Very Matrix. Just a thought I have. Love the podcast. Thanks for always keeping it. Fantastic. And that's the PH there, Pete. So, Pete, are we in a Matrix loop the end is the beginning, snake eating its tail kind of thing. Anything that gives Miss Minutes more importance, I'm behind. Uh, we heard from Mike Sorensen. That's ad ba at badwolf underscore media. I voted for three, but only because I know it's going to just keep getting better. Heard from Spider-Ham Lincoln, that's at TessLC139. Another great episode worthy of four stars. Marvel really knows how to put on a show. The Loki, Mobius, buddy cop routine works perfectly. Like I said last week, I'm a sucker for time travel. I feel like, quote-unquote, Loki was made just for me. Uh, so that would be Loki the show. As for Lady Loki, this article, and he references an Insider.com article, has me thinking that she's not the Loki uh, we think she is. Mephisto, she ain't. Check out this article for a different take on who the Lady Loki variant might be. And uh, Pete, I'm going to make sure to link to that article, uh, which you may have read already because it uh, references the Spanish language um, subtitles there. So I guess I don't need to le link to it because Pete, you beat us to it. <laughs> I do what I can. 
Uh, we also heard from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf. Hot take before the series ends. We will see Mobius on a jet ski. So say we all. Uh, heard from Loki Motion at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1. Great episode. Hiding in the apocalypses is actually pretty darn smart. Lady Loki to virtually nobody's surprise, but still cool. Can't wait to see what else this show has in store for us. Pete, Loki Motion here, pioneering the <laughs> four, spelled with a P-H as well. Uh, yes. That's off there. Um, we won't rest until we have changed all the spelling in the sacred <laughs> spell line. Um, we heard from J Philly B. That's at J Philly B for fandom. Rotary phones, the absolute worst in an emergency. A sign of the TVA's overconfidence that they're relying on 1950s sci-fi tech to run their operation? Question mark. Not even a big red shiny button to push if it all goes to hell. Loved Mobius sidestepping every one of Loki's questions. But Loki gave himself the answers he wanted. Seems more likely a non-answer from Mobius is as good as a no. More importantly, Mobius's evasion of the when of it all. I'm questioning whether the multiversal war that led to the creation of the Sacred Timekeepers, of the Sacred Timeline, as well as the TVA, has even happened yet. The TVA operates outside of time, so just because an event occurred in their past, it does not necessarily mean that it occurred before 2012 Loki tried to run off the Tesseract. I think? Question mark. Timey wimey shenanigans. Fantastic. Uh, so, Pete, I think a lot to consider there that in the general vein with is are we at the beginning or the end and is the end looping to the beginning and all of that uh, i feel like we're many of us are circling around that so that could be proof in numbers i don't know lastly pete from steve the burge uh that's at steve the burge uh, uh good not great talking about the episode too much explanation of why mobius trusts loki maybe important seeds for later but overall more excited for next week pete what do you have on your end to the fantastic geek facebook page we go matt where steve adams writes in so far i have enjoyed loki but this is very different from the other two series it may just be due to the fact that i have a hard time buying in on a series where the lead character is a villain i am not sure that this is a redemption story for loki i can't figure out where this is going this is not necessarily a bad thing. It just is. Tom Hiddleston is, as always, commanding the limelight in this role. Just brilliant. Owen Wilson is playing a much more understated Mobius than I imagined. I thought he would be more in your face, and he hasn't done that. And I am very happy with the result. I have to wonder, though, is the obsession with jet skis what he says it is? Between that and C20 rambling the way she did, is there something much more about the TVA? Are they experiencing latent, suppressed memories? I look forward to finding out and then hearing your analysis. Until next week, as always, stay fantastic with PH, Matt. I think that's a good example of there's so much great TV on I was going to say TVA, because we've been saying it for the last hour and 15 <laughs> There's minutes. so much great TVA. <laughs> well, there is. May I say to our Time Lords as they tune in, you know, Pete, just a couple days ago, side note, we were talking uh, Star Trek Picard, and we were talking about Q, which I'm sure, you know, if, if there's any FBI bots listening, I'm sure they tuned in for that. Here we are. <laughs> uh, TVA, you're great, too. Um, but there's so much great television on and so much going on in terms of 
broad stroke stories and you know twists and turns and whatnot what's being described there is kind of similar to aspects of westworld um among other things so it's like it's a good idea at what point are you in a writing room you go oh this is great oh crud i saw this on westworld am i stealing from it is it independent like there's all this great stuff but that also means there's whole areas that you kind of can't go anywhere near right now because it's part of the recent cultural memory so um i guess one to watch certainly it's funny that you say recent and i was trying to make this point before um about when the tva is happening and um mobius used the uh adverb recently um and i think that was a pretty interesting choice i can't remember where he used it exactly and i have to go back deep into my notes but it was definitely there in the tva so that was an interesting concept that something happened recently we're gonna go though matt to apple Podcasts, where dr bob k has left us a five-star review that is headlined fantastic geek and the multicast of coolness. Ooh. Maybe the greatest headline for a review yet. And his review reads, These guys have how many podcasts now? I've listened to the vast majority of them, and even when the show is not great, I'm looking at you, Inhumans. <laughs> the podcasts still are. I'm grateful that they're podcasting Loki, it should be another fun one. Thanks, Matt and Pete. Certainly our pleasure, and thank you for those kind words. I will say the number of podcasts <laughs> number of podcasts is increasing quickly because the shows are shorter. You know, there was 130 episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, six episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so things are what they are. Pete, check in the Fantastic Geek uh, Gmail email inbox. We heard from Robert Monroe, who said as follows, Matt and Pete, didn't get my thoughts on Loki Episode 1 together in time for the podcast, but here they are now. I will limit myself to things I haven't heard other people say. One, two moments of Loki's dialogue jumped out at me. First, when he says, I'm a mischievous scamp. His voice is dripping with contempt. Is this self-contempt in a moment when his emotions are raw after his loss in the Battle of New York? Or is he bitter about, bitter about other people calling him a scamp and cramming everything he does into a tiny, degrading, stereotype box? Uh, second, when Loki says, I'll kill you, to uh, Major Mobius, uh, um, his voice is missing... I think that's Agent, not Major. I'll just lightly correct uh, Robert there. Uh, but when Loki says, uh, I'll kill you, his voice is missing the heat that should be punching that line up and giving it weight. Instead, it falls flat. I'll assume that's a deliberate character choice. So that means Loki is just going through the motions of arguing at that point while actually feeling his wings being clipped. Uh, number two, because that was like a two-part number one. Because two minutes of Loki's dialogue there, you see. Anyhow, number two, I predict we'll see more of Casey. The first episode spent significant time showing us how innocent he is, how he spends all his time quote-unquote behind the desk how submissive he is when he says i comply that calls uh, uh that recalls leviathan and the winter soldier to mind i think the show will bring casey more out of his comfort zone for comic relief if nothing else there's even an outside chance he's a bad guy 
Three, when Loki dropped out of the sky at the beginning of the episode, it reminded me of a movie and a TV show from the 1980s, Time Bandits and Voyagers. Voyagers is especially interesting as an example of 1982 network TV science fiction and also as a precursor to Quantum Leap. I found it delightful as a nine-year-old and it holds up even today. I watched a couple of episodes over the weekend. Thanks, as always, for a fantastic family of podcasts. The PHs uh, squarely put their Pete. I look forward to share, uh, to hearing everyone's thoughts for, uh, on the rest of Loki and the mob of Marvel, Marvel projects coming our way. And then Pete Robert had a follow-up email uh, saying, I realized I had left out an important point about Voyagers. Um, character uh, and plot development have come a long way since then, especially in depicting women and people of color. So the show comes across as a bit rough-hewn. With that caveat, I find the show to be good swashbuckling fun, and the show has good heart. The show's main message is bullies who use fear and violence to keep people in line are jerks, and we're going to stop them. This gives the show its moments of triumph when the characters help Harriet Tubman escape, and moments of pathos when they steer Spartacus down the road to a slave revolt that uh, history says he must lose. So your thoughts there, Pete, on... Uh, on influences and uh, Loki's intents and all of that. I'm not a Voyagers guy, but Time Bandits for sure. And I have been definitely getting that vibe with what we've seen. Um, so it'd be really cool if they, they lean even heavier into what is a vastly underrated uh, dark comedy from the 1980s. Pete, never underrated are those who support us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, making sure that all our tempads work or time iPads or whatever. We have to go back to when they were originally invented and then rename them, I think. But Pete, that's all made possible by our patrons. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from. But you, you, the listener, place the value on the content uh it takes just a dollar to get you in that door might come in the way of uh early listens or something you can only find on patreon.com slash fantastic geek not in a position to contribute you can always go to apple podcasts leave us a rating in seconds leave us a review all of those things help us out Pete, how can we keep this conversation going for the remaining four episodes of Loki, at least this season? How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,998 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com, all one word with the PH, Fantastic. Get on it, like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back on the Loki podcast feed this time next week, talking episode 103. Uh, meanwhile, over on the Pop Culture podcast feed, uh, I hope people have enjoyed our uh, somewhat surprise Picard episode, seeing as how there was uh, rather surprising Picard footage uh, shared on after Picard Day. So who knows what the next adventure will be on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. For now, though, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Be free, my horned friends. Be free. Be free.